Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. This is Henry Lopez, and welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Keith Leinbach. Keith, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Henry. It's, uh, it's good to join your show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. I had the chance to be on, on uh, Keith's show recently. We'll talk about in, that uh, podcast in a moment. And so one of his areas of specialty and experience is in the laundromat business. So we're going to talk about the opportunities and the challenges with that business that he knows very well. Uh, Keith will also share other businesses that he's been involved in and, and his whole focus of diversifying your income streams. He's going to share with us also a little bit about his entrepreneurial story, how he got to where he is today. To receive more information about the How Business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. Keith Leinbach is a serial entrepreneur who has spent the, the past few years building and acquiring small businesses to create a diversified income stream. He now shares the details and the information about how he does that about these businesses so that then he helps you determine which diversified streams make the most sense for you. This includes the podcast I alluded to that I had the pleasure of being on recently. That podcast is called Diversified Income Experiment. Uh, so before becoming an entrepreneur, though, Keith enjoyed a very successful and multifaceted career in, in the corporate consulting and management and in sales before he made the transition to business ownership. And we'll chat about that. So once again, Keith Leinbach, welcome to the show. Thanks. Jeez, that makes it sound like I've done a whole bunch of stuff. You have. <laughs> yeah, it just makes us sound it. old is what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's, it just makes us sound old. I know. Don't even remind me. <laughs> Wearing myself out. Absolutely. So, so as I was doing the research, you studied mechanical engineering, but you didn't go on to practice engineering or did you? Uh, no. So yeah, at the Ohio State University, I'm that's proud right. to report. Yeah. And so, um, you know, coming out of high school, I was good in math and science. And so um, my parents encouraged me to do two things. One was to um, get an Air Force ROTC scholarship to try it for a year. And I did. And uh, it was only a year. And then mm -hmm. I, um, I punched out of that. And then uh, the other thing was to um, pursue something that took advantage of, you know, I, I just I was just better in math and science than the other curriculum. So engineering seemed to make sense and I like mechanical things. And so those two words fit together and all of a sudden I'm a mechanical engineer. But when I was a co-op student at, um, at General Motors at uh, GM Truck and Bus in Pontiac, Michigan. So this is in the 80s when I'm in college. What, what is a co-op student? A co-op student is when um, as an engineering student, you could go work for a quarter or a semester and uh, you'd go work for, you know, for a, a, a big company. They would recruit engineers to come and, and work for a quarter or semester. You take that off from school. And then, um, you know, you go work as, as an engineer, in this case, for, for General Motors and for truck and bus. Yeah, so I was really excited. You know, they come on campus. They do the, the, whole, uh, the whole show, you know, and they're interviewing candidates. So a pretty big deal to, to get a an internship and I am super grateful that I did that because I was so excited to go work at, uh, at <laughs> truck and bus. And I thought for sure as an intern, of course, like they're going to give me a truck to design and I will finish up the quarter and I will have had designed this. This is how naive I am, right? <laughs> I'm going to go design a truck. <laughs> so I got to, uh, I got to Pontiac, Michigan and I, I get assigned 
as one of the 40 people on the windshield wiper team. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what is going on? And it was really just one meeting after another of pure bureaucracy that really made me uh, really concerned because I think uh, that was probably during my, my, uh, my junior year. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm almost through the program. I got a year to go. And the last thing I want to be is an engineer. So I had a buddy that was, um, had graduated a year in front of me with a degree in chemical engineering, and he went to work for Arthur Anderson. Mm -hmm. And that was back before Arthur Anderson had spun off the management information systems consulting deal. And, and that then became uh, Anderson Consulting. Uh, then that entity became Accenture and went public in the, in the, in the late 90s. And um, anyway, so that's how I ended up in the consulting business because I didn't know what to do. And my buddy was like, hey, you know, I've got a degree in chemical engineering and I'm going to work for this really computer consulting, kind of management consulting opportunity. You ought to check it out. And it just happened to be with Arthur Anderson. And so, of course, everybody was like, dude, what, what are you doing? You're going to be a CPA? You got a degree in engineering? I'm like, no, nah, it's the consulting side. Anyway, so that's a and great you, company, though. Yeah. And is it, so did you enjoy doing that, doing the consulting work? Was that better fitted for you at that point and at that phase in your life? Yeah, that was a, you know, other than not really understanding, I literally had a buddy of mine from college say, okay, I just don't, I don't get it. So what do you do? And I literally told him, dude, I, I don't, I don't really know. Like <laughs> they call it management consulting, but I don't, I never consult management. I'm actually doing computer system design that fits into large applications, you know, and I certainly didn't even say it that well, not that I just said it that well now, but like, I don't even know, man, I was kind of a programmer. And he's yeah. like, dude, you don't, I'm not stupid. You can tell me. And I'm like, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. So regardless, you, you did that for a while. You went into management, sales career, had a long career. What, what leads to then you feeling like you needed to go do your own thing, become your own boss? I said, I'm, not, I'm just not going back to the corporate world. Okay. It really is not, um, being a CEO isn't necessarily, is not exactly what I wanted to do. What I actually wanted to do was to lead business mm -hmm. and grow opportunity, not necessarily be the CEO of a big company. And I got those confused, um, in, I got those confused throughout my career path, right? And so I, I landed there and I'm like, this is not exactly do you, what I uh, Do you think looking back is... Did you not see yourself being able to do that as a business owner because maybe it had never been modeled for you or just you just had so you had such a very specific goal in mind. So I can see how that's blinding to any other option. Uh, well, it is, you know, and you're on that path yeah. and you're making a lot of money and you right. know, you're in the corporate world, you know, you make right. a ton of money and you're like, dang, why would I go punch out of this and go? And like I've told people before, like when when you're making 60 grand a year young in your career and you see somebody making 150, you're like, dang, that is some dough. Right. And then you're making 150 all of a sudden and you see the guy making 350 and you're like, wow, that guy is making some dough. And then all of a sudden you're making 350 and you see the guy that does six and you're like, why, <laughs> why the hell don't I make six? And then you make 600 grand a year and you see the guys making a million. You're like, what am I, some schmuck? And you know, it just keeps going on. And, right. But and there was also the other layer that comes in, which is, and you had it done for you here, somebody else decides for whatever reason, in this case, in this case, political, arbitrary, we don't need you anymore, Keith, thank you very much. Well, and, and hence then the path to diversified income because man, what I realized is, you know, how, whatever your, your primary income stream is, it will end. 
I mean, maybe you're in one scenario, you will retire from it and you have a pension and that's a, that's a beautiful outcome. For 90 plus percent of the population, that is not a reality. In fact, it's more like 99% of the, the population. And you, you're either going to be with a company that, that, um, that doesn't exist anymore or uh, they downsize. I mean, look at the companies that were the, the top 25 countries, 20 companies 20 years ago, like two of those exist today. So that path is not, it's going to end on you. And if you're lucky, you will end your career and be able to move on to retirement and live comfortably if in one scenario, right? And that's not very common. The other is you will, that you will get, that thing will just end, right? There's a whole bunch of reasons. You get fired, you quit, you get disabled. You, there's a million reasons why. And if you don't have diversified income streams, you've just relied on that one. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't have enough money. You know, I, I ejected out of that thing in my, my mid fifties early fifties, I guess. And I'm like, you know what? I've made a lot of money throughout my career, but I don't have, I don't have the money to, to go live the next 35 years in retirement, like the, right. the lifestyle I want. So I'm like, I better start producing, you know, income on a regular basis, right? You had, you had investments, you had other things, yes, real estate. Some, yeah. Yeah. Just not, not, a, not quite enough probably for sure. Right. So would, as you started going into business, did you have this mindset from day one that diversity is key? Did you look at it like that from the beginning? Yeah, man. I said, I am never, I'm never going to be in a spot where you can turn off one income stream and I'm, I'm looking around like what the heck just happened to me? Like a deer in the headlights, man. That's just not going to happen again. And so maybe I've overdone it because I have a tendency to, to, to do that. <laughs> um, but listen, man, so we, I was talking to a friend of mine like shortly after I left that last company and I, I was, he had just taken his daughter to college and was talking about the laundromat as they went, you know, they're showing the, the university and whatever. And he's like, Hey, we're going to do laundry. And they showed them, and he said, dude, the place is packed. It's not even nice. He said, what do you think the economics of a laundromat are? I'm like, yeah, that's a good question, man. I've always been really curious about laundromats because when I was in college, my buddy's family owned a bunch and hmm. shoot, they did great. And so I'm like, man, that's a, just think about it. Like you got to set up a store and put some equipment in it. And I, then I naively thought like, how long can that take a few months? And then, <laughs> And then maybe it takes a few months to get it kind of ramped up to, to run rate, but shoot, you could get that thing going and six months later, you're, you're in business. Wow. That's, that seems cool. And if you could put a spin, like a new spin on these old concepts, like car washes and laundromats and then the salon suites and, and the, 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 um, the, we work kind of office space kind of deals and all of those that you're kind of familiar with as well. And like, man, you could spin up, those types of businesses do them better than the way they exist today. Like laundromat, like, where's the bar at? You know, if you drop your socks in a laundromat, you got to clean them again because <laughs> they're gross, right? It's just disgusting. Yes. Has yes. anyone ever been to a nice laundromat? So I thought, Hey, if I build a nice laundromat, I wonder what, what would happen? Would people care enough? Would they come? Or do they, is that just an income class that people don't care? Of course the answer is absolutely. They care, man. They just don't have an option. So um, that, that was the premise. Could I build one in a crowded laundromat environment and pull people out of other stores and, and kind of cop, capitalize on the concept? And the answer is yes, you, you can absolutely do that. You just have to be careful, like in all businesses, but you know, when you own them, it's, it's, uh, it's very acute that you have to spend wisely as you go into them and you really need to understand what that means. And that probably takes a little more time than what I put uh, into it up front. And so I think I overspent in some categories, but you know, now that I've got three laundromats, you know, the third one's better than the first one. And um, you know, just learn to keep, keep getting smarter. I intentionally um, started this thing that I, I called 
the passive income experiment. And then I realized some of this stuff really isn't all that passive. So I called it the diversified income experiment and experiment very specifically because, hey, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do is experiment with this. And then I realized, you know what? I've built laundromats. I've been down the process to build car washes and I had four projects and all four of those washed out for different reasons. And we may end up doing others, but, you know, four swings at it and they're big, expensive projects. We had pursued probably five dozen locations for, for um, salon suites and um, none of those panned out based on how hot the economy was and I couldn't get the real estate at the right values. And so the salon suite things, those also, you know, after 18 months of pretty active work and some, you know, it turned out to be fairly significant investment in the process of the experiment, I learned some of these things can come together like the laundromats have. And some of these things you're going to spend money and a heck of a lot of time to diversify your income and find out that they are, they just become impractical. And that's where I landed with the car washes and the salon suites. And in that process, I also realized, man, building a new business takes a tremendous amount of time, not, not just capital, but time. Like, yeah. you know, if you're going to lease space and blah, it just takes forever. Like it could be a three-year runway to get a business up and running and producing the income that you originally modeled. Right. So that's a long time. That's, that's not a game you want to start to build a lot of those assets when you're in your fifties or sixties, right? Right. People that are, but I, I like that you made that clarification that you moved there from passive to diversify because I have yet to find a business, a true small business and not, not investments that at least initially don't require a tremendous amount of effort. Yeah. A lot of effort, man. Yeah. That's really the thing. And it's been a big lesson. And so it's the amount of time plus the amount of non-income time, because right. if it takes three years to get to production, run rate of, of revenue to meet, meet the models. That's a long time to be operating without some dough. So my biggest discovery has been, and, and it was a, it was an obstacle for me at first, buy businesses, right? There are tons of great businesses for sale for all kinds of reasons. With the laundromats, all three of them so far you have built, you haven't bought an existing one. And, and I'm curious as to why that is, or are there not as many opportunities in that particular business to buy an existing one? Yeah, I'm a little spooked on buying laundromats, and I'll tell you why. Um, if, now, if you buy an existing laundromat that's really doing well, and and you have a laundromat operator that's that's really operating the business above board in all categories. I don't mean like being intentionally deceptive, but you know it's a cash business, so stuff yeah, gets there's a lot of coins pocket, and right? dollar bills yeah. that are floating around. <laughs> yeah, so I run these 100% above board, right? There's no hocus pocus. I don't shove the twenties into my pocket and take the tens to the bank, right? Like the old saying goes. Yeah. But so one, it's hard to get the actual financials. The second is there's, there's typically a tremendous amount of re like overhaul of the business that you have to do. You yeah. start talking about overhauling an existing laundromat. Each of those washing machines is like six grand. So if you're going to, if you're going to go replace 30 machines, and then you got to go replace 30 dryers. I mean, you can easily be into four or $500,000 just in equipment. And part of then, what you're doing is you're not just polishing up or putting lipstick on a pig. You're creating a completely yeah. different experience, right? That's so what I'm most, trying to most do. Most of them that would be out there for sale, you, you'd almost have to gut, which is like, okay, what, what am I doing here? I might as well start from scratch. Is that part of what? That's exactly right. Yeah. Now, sometimes you can buy these things really cheap. And, and sure. so there's probably... There's probably some incentive there, but my, my take is particularly in laundromats, right? There are a lot of dumps for sale 
that you can get into and you can go search YouTube, right? There's like 80 trillion videos on how to buy a laundromat really cheap and then try to make money on it. But if you're going to buy one that's cheap and the equipment is old, you've got a lot of maintenance. And if you're not mechanical, that means you get to outsource it. And that's expensive at a hundred bucks an hour. And if you are mechanical, that means you're going to spend a lot of time in your laundromat fixing machines. I don't think you want to do that. No. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, the ceiling probably leaks, the tiles are all gross and disgusting and, and uh, the floor, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a tile floor and that grout is full of just, just gross, man. It's like dirty and full of bacteria and all kinds of stuff. So there's quite a bit of overhaul involved because if you're going to attract new customers, where are customers going to go? And they're going to go to the place that has the best Google ratings, right? You, if you're new to a town and you're, and you're, and you're going to use a laundromat, how are you going to find it? And you're going to go to Google and search best laundromat near me, right? And if you're just bought a laundromat that's got a hundred reviews and a 2.8 rating, yeah. like you got a lot of work that's to do. A, that's man. a lot of friction to overcome. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of friction. And if you're lucky, you buy one that's a 2.8 that's got 20 ratings. So now you can go get 200 ratings and get your, your score up to a four something. And that's possible. But man, I, it's tricky. So that's why I said, you know what? I'm not even going to try to inherit someone's mess. I want to build something from the ground up. Okay. And, you know, you can go either route, but that's, that's how I ended up in the. Yeah, I'm that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit more about the startup investment of it. And particularly, and I had asked you, I think, this question when I was on your show, or maybe it was off, off the, when we weren't recording. I had heard when I had begun to do some research on this type of business that there's a possibility to get financing from the equipment manufacturer. You and that, that was like interesting to me. Did you go that route? Is it expensive money? Is that an option for real? Or what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a super great question, man. So here's the math on, this is like the perfect size laundromat. It's my second store. It's 4,300 square feet, right? So it's, it's not a gigantic place, but it's bigger than everything else in town. So you walk in, you're immediately like, okay, that's a great, big, nice place. And it's, it's well lit. So that's 4,300 square feet. And I put uh, 40, 45 washing machines in there. And then you put an equivalent capacity of dryers. So, you know, if, if that's 2000 pounds of wash, you know, if you add up all the different sizes of machines, right, then you need to have that many pounds of dryer. So you'll spend like what, what I spent on my, on this laundromat, it's 4,300 4, square feet to buy the equipment was about $700,000. And I financed that through Dexter, right directly through, through Dexter. And you can go through Eastern funding or Eastern financial. They do a lot of laundromat lending. I'm sorry. Who, got, who is, who is Dexter? Dexter is equipment manufacturer. The equipment like manufacturer. You, so so yep, they it, offer you financing. Okay. Yep. And it's great financing. Okay. Um, uh, they actually offered me more than a hundred percent of the equipment value. Nice. Now that's partially because of my balance sheet, but I, yeah, I, I, you know, if, you, if you're going to go buy equipment and you've got a decent credit score, th th anybody's going to loan you 90% of the value, right? Yeah. So, you know, so, but, you know, you don't want to overbuild the laundromat. And then on top of that, I had about $300,000, almost $400,000 of, of improvements to the place to uh, put the right, I, you know, I had some plumbing. You're always going to have plumbing that you're going to have to put in. Uh, there's a you use a lot of gas, you use a lot of water, you, have, you, you drain out a lot of water. And so the utilities have to be um, upgraded. I'm not talking about the city. Like if you, if you just lease the space and find out you don't have the right size water line in and you have yeah, to go yeah. increase the tap size, like Ooh. you're going to spend it right. Then you get killed. But this whole, that project was 1.1 million, 700,000 
a little over 700,000 was from Dexter. And so my debt service um, is just under 10,000 bucks a month. So you got, you got financing from Dexter, then did you take a loan for the rest of it as well? Or how did? Yeah, so and uh, was that conventional or SBA? So the Dexter money is, is, um, you know, that's just through Dexter financial, right? right. They got their own, their yep. own lending arm. The rest was cash. Okay. Okay. Cause I'm curious. I, I don't know if you know or not, is this a business that the SBA will finance or do they, they will. consider it a passive income? And so they don't. Yep. They will finance laundromats. Okay. Yep. Okay. You know, it happened to me at the 11th hour when I was selling one of my suite salons that you mentioned, they were going to go SBA and then the SBA, and they may have changed the rule back. So, but just at that 11th hour, the SBA decided that a salon suites was no longer a qualifying business. <laughs> so, huh. Well, yeah. That's rough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Rough. Yeah. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause for this episode to introduce you to our new sponsor, Paychex, and also introduce you to the Paychex podcast show for real business owners addressing real issues. Join host Gene Marks in the Paychex Business Series Coronavirus Podcast as he talks with small business owners and other experts about today's top issues, including the current COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on the workplace, employees, and the way we work. In a recent episode, Gene goes beyond the funny business as he talks with comedian and independent business owner Jim Gaffigan. In the episode titled Jim Gaffigan is Playing the Long Game on YouTube, Jim talks with Gene Marks about how the coronavirus pandemic and the shutdown helped him discover new social media platforms and how he's using YouTube to reach like-minded people, build a community, and establish relationships during these tough times. Subscribe and listen to this and other great episodes of the Paychecks Business Series with Gene Marks Coronavirus at paychecks.com forward slash business series. That's paychecks.com forward slash business series. The equipment, I was curious, this is obviously, we're talking about commercial grade equipment, obviously. What's the life expectancy of one of these machines? Long time, man. That, you know, we, we depreciate them and over 10 years, they're financed over 10 years, but the okay. life is probably 25 plus. If you maintain the stuff, um, these things. You're, you're going to get a solid 10 years plus out of them. You're going to get 15 plus. 15 plus. Yeah. yeah. So you do not have to like build into your financial model. I mean, that's and, huge, and right? Years. I mean, that's yeah, huge. Because that, from a capital improvement perspective, the only thing you got to worry then are, you know, you got to refurbish the place every once in a while. But as far as equipment goes, you're set. Yeah. So, you know, you think about the capital expense outside of the equipment. What are you doing? And, and we did a lot, I did, you know, a lot with paint and wallpaper. So we walk in. You know, most people are like, holy smokes, that's done with some decorative lighting, paint that's a, you know, a nice color, and we added a stripe throughout the place. And then I, I, I put nice furniture in there. And I don't mean like nice home furniture. I put nice commercial furniture, comfortable seating, Very which you won't find in a laundromat. Yeah. yeah, so it's, yeah, so, but that stuff costs money, but, you know, 8,000 security cameras in there. That's not really true. I put 20 security cameras <laughs> in there, you know. And so that service costs something. The alarm system costs something a month. Um, but in terms of capital expense, those are things that aren't going to wear out, right? I'm always going to have the same security system, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm, my, my floors are polished concrete, so those aren't 
you know, it's not like I'm going to have to go. Yeah, you'll have to update the, the furniture and maybe give it a different look. But I mean, there's so much you can do with like color LED lights these days. Exactly. So that's not going to cost you much. You don't have to put much aside there. Um, how many employees to run this thing on a daily basis? So you know, our stores are, are open from seven in the morning to 10 at night. And uh, we, those are two shifts and there's I have one shifts. person in there full time. And so here's the thing about the laundry business. And uh, some people, you, get, you know, throws you off at first, threw me off at first. Laundry has got three primary revenue streams. One is people coming in and pump quarters into the machines. That's self-service laundry. The second is uh, around vending, right? So it's not a, it's not a ton of money. Um, and the third, they're, they're really three. I was breaking out washers and dryers early. But if you think of the first is just, you know, people putting quarters in. The second is vending. The third is commercial laundry or it's also residential pickup and delivery or drop-off service. So it's called wash, dry, fold or fluff and fold. And I thought, holy smokes, man, I don't want to be like in the business of washing people's clothes and folding them <laughs> and whatever, but that's where the money's at. Sure. So you pay the bills with people pumping quarters in, you get a little extra, you know, change uh, from, from having some vending operations. But the thing that is lucrative and the reason that people are getting into the laundry business, I think one is because it can be fairly passive, but, but it's because of this wash, dry, fold thing. Yeah. So imagine, so our stores are open from seven to 10 I, and, and I've got them attended from that amount of time and attendant while helping other people and cleaning and other stuff can do about 20 pounds of laundry an hour. So I'm open for what, 15 hours. So, so that person, day. while they're watching, minding the store, they're also getting some of the wash, dry, fold done as well. That's right. Okay. They are, and they can do 20 pounds an hour. That's kind of okay. an industry. That's the low end of the industry range. While and they're so, also managing everything else. Yep. Yep. And because, you know, that's like a load of laundry in an hour. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not a yeah. super big deal, no. kind of real, real drain. Right. And so over a 15 hour day, 300 pounds of, of laundry with my existing staff, right? One person there, 15 hours, 20 pounds an hour. That's 300 pounds. Okay. So we charge a buck 60 per pound. So for simple math, uh, what is that? $480 a day. That's $15,000 a month in revenue. And my only cost on that is to turn the machine on. So my utilities are about 16% of revenue. You know, if I put, if I put $10 in a machine, it costs me a buck 60 in utilities to run it, like gas and water electric. So that's not very much money. Like I do a full load. My cost is a little bit of detergent, some dryer sheets. My, the, the equipment's already there and paid for. That's going to be there whether I do this or not. Right? My staff is already going to be there. And so I can do up to $15,000 a month without adding any staff. And then if I really got busy, which you know we're closing in on, I, I could then sell bigger contracts or do more business, whatever. And my, 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 my equipment's just sitting there in the dark from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m., man. Right. So that's stuff. So you would then you would then have after hours uh, workers to do nothing but uh, wash, dry, fold, and commercial stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I could have another shift that runs from ten to seven. You know. 10 so to 6 they get do out. you have um, the places where you're leasing space? You have to have negotiated that into the lease to be able to operate during off hours. Do you, you know, find that that is a restriction no. there? Okay. There's no restriction on hours in the places that I leased. Okay. Yeah. That's something so, to look for. And one of them, I think the last one you own the building, right? So there's no I issues do. there. Yeah. Yeah. No issues there other than owning a building's expensive. Holy smokes. I like calling the landlord <laughs> and going, Hey, the roof's leaking. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like calling the roofing guy and going, I got a leak. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. That's brutal. Um, yeah. 
Okay, great, great. Uh, what about considering a franchise? There's a few franchise players that have that have come into the market. They're they're young and they're you know they haven't really developed yet in my experience. But what are your thoughts? So here's my thought on franchising overall. And so if someone's got a really unique idea with patented equipment, then the only way to get into that is likely, you know, through that or or some super powerful brand like you know, Chick Fil A or McDonald's or something like that or they have patented equipment, or it's a really complicated process that you need someone that is going to help grow the business with you by managing this really complicated process. And so, and the laundry doesn't really fit any of those from my perspective. And the typical franchising model seems to apply to, to other franchises available for laundry. And that's 7% off the top, man. That's, mm -hmm. that's a lot of, that's just a lot of money. The, I, I run these stores before debt service at um, about 40% net. So, you know, while that's a good business for sure, like why do I want to give seven points of that to, to someone that did what? They did give me a brand. They didn't give me patented equipment. They helped me solve for some of this stuff about laundromats to demystify like what is the real financial model and how much time I'm going to have to spend and what equipment should I use and blah, all the things that you would learn if you were doing it on your own, which is what I ended up doing because it's just too expensive to, I think, like in perpetuity, pay somebody seven or 8% off of revenue, man, you got to add a lot of value. Got a lot of added, a lot of ongoing value. But, but what about the person who says, you know, I've never owned a business before. I don't even know how to operate a business. And I know you're helping people with, they can hire you or take one of your, uh, one of your online packages to help them with the startup component of it. Are you, have you moved into helping people with, okay, here's how to now become a business owner and run this particular business? Yeah, I would say kind of Henry, man, because um, you're right. I, I do offer, I, I'm, I try to make available the stuff that I learned that I found so difficult to get. So for instance, a laundromat financial model, if, if you go Google that, you're going to find a bunch of stuff people posted. You don't know if that's real or not. Right. And what I found, having to run it, they're not, they're not real. <laughs> So I make my PL available on, on you can go to dinkpie.com, it's D-I-N-C-P-I-E.com. And, and you can download the, the model. You can watch a video of it for free. You can buy the actual Excel model with all the complicated formulas and the multi-pages of stuff um, if, you, if you want. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to provide. Like I also provide a, a laundromat lease. So if you implement the items that are, that are that I've learned from negotiating leases for laundromats I'll easily save you 50,000 bucks from if you don't know what you're doing and don't have a good advisor, right? Because if you get the utilities wrong, if you don't ask the landlord to provide the ADA compliant bathrooms, right? That's going to cost you 13 grand a piece, right? There's 26 I just saved you. Um, if you don't know what kind of doors to put in, you don't like all this stuff that you're just going to have to pay a contractor to do later. That's things you could put into a lease and you can also get some tenant improvement dollars back from the landlord. You, you save a lot of, a lot of money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I'd, I'd rather uh, bring you on in this phase and hire you to help me with that than to, like you said, still be paying a franchise 7% of my money five years from now. For sure. And yeah. That's and where so, it gets ugly for a lot of franchise. I'm not anti-franchise. I, you know, the business I'm just opening now is a franchise, yeah. but the value has to be there. And what you're sharing is that in your opinion and experience, it's not there for this particular business. Yeah. I talked to a guy that was going through the franchise process for laundromats and he was about to actually pay the franchise fee. And 
and he said, Hey, what, like walk me through, here's some stuff that I don't, I don't get. And I would hope to learn from, from, you know, the person I'm going to pay the franchise fee to and 7% in perpetuity. Like, and he asked me three or four questions about op, the operating model as well as the financial model. And he's like, dude, I've learned more in 30 minutes than, than I did with <laughs> the franchisor who owns like one store decided he was going to franchise it. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that because I did anything special. I'm just saying I, I'm making that available because it was so hard to find. And those are the things that, you know, you, you can watch a million YouTube videos and you're never going to learn that stuff. Right. But I just put it all out there. Yeah. When you, you've, you've had the experience. Yeah. What, what are some of the criteria? What are some of the things you're looking for when it comes to location? The easiest answer for that, Henry, is like, if you, if you were, let's say you got a market that you're interested in, like you let's say you live, I'm just making stuff up, right? Say you live in Indianapolis and you're like, I wonder if there's a laundromat market here. You pick any, any city of any size. The first thing I would do is type in laundromats near me, or, you know, if you don't live there, laundromats in Indianapolis and it's Google maps going to bring up the map. So, you know, where they're all located, the Google ratings and, and, um, and you can see them all on, on a picture. And then you know what part of town is laundromat town, right? What is laundromat demographics? You, you already know. Then uh, you could go to each one of those and see, gosh, is someone really building a nice laundromat and taking over the market? Or are they all just a traditional dump that's packed full of crappy equipment that's out of service? And then, and then if those things check out and you realize, gosh, it's a, you know, I know where the laundromat demographics are because that's where the existing laundromats are and there's not really any great competition then you can go bring a new model in then you can get specific about the actual demographics so the targeted demographics you want to have typically you know depending on the amount of competition at least 16,000 people in a one mile radius and then of that population uh, you would like to see the uh, average income at 35 average household income of $35,000 or less for 60% of the population. And that confirms that you're in the right, I mean, you're in the place that's pro, you know, probably the most rich and dense uh, for laundromats. And then um, you're looking to see the age of homes in the area and um, a few other things. The ethnicity plays a factor. Um, the Latino population tends to do laundry as a social event and um, th that um, the, that is different than than um, whites and African Americans, and they all you know use laundromats in kind of different at different levels. And so, knowing what the racial mix is is important. And um, just to give you a sense for for nothing else other than what is the population, what is now the population of laundromat clientele, and our you know do I have an opportunity to actually bring them into my? And then you're trying to figure out like okay, so if I've got sixteen thousand people in in a mile radius maybe 10,000 of those are laundromat users. And if there's eight laundromats in a one mile radius, now you're splitting that population across eight, you got to pull them out of there. Right. And so right. that's just what you're trying to get to, to figure out like how many people do I actually have? Um, but you know, that those kind of demographics, like if you want to know the exact model, I've got it, but I've got it because I went to my Dexter rep. That's my equipment. You know, the guys that provided me the equipment, I say, What's uh, like, what are the demographics I'm looking for? And he's like, you kidding me? Here's the model. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the other thing that's great about this opportunity is you have the equipment manufacturers that can really help you with this process as well. Yeah, they can. Now you got to remember your equipment manufacturer is 
they're they're compensated on selling equipment. Yeah, they they want to sell you a hundred machines, and they're going to yeah, they absolutely what you need. I mean, you make a great point. There was an episode I listened to of, of your podcast. It came out, I think it was on May, maybe on the twenty first, where you did a deeper dive on your third uh, location. Great episode, and I think you talk about it there, and people can go listen to that episode about having the right mix of machines. Yeah, is important as well. So let's let, go listen to that episode if you're listening now and you're interested in this as I am. Great episode that Keith released. I think it was on May 21st uh, of your diversified income. Yeah, podcast. yeah. Thanks for referencing that. You know, it's 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 just one of the things you learn in the process. I wish I'd learned up front, man, because I don't think my mix is right. I, people love these gigantic washing machines that hold 80 pounds of laundry, and if you've got five of those and and 20 little 20 pounders. You know, you got the wrong mix. Yeah. I think I've got the wrong mix because I, I committed on the equipment too early before I really knew. What are the common mistakes? And we'll kind of wrap it up with this. Uh, common mistakes do you see people making either as you speak to them because you talk to a lot of people who are looking to get into this business or that you've seen competitors, uh, some common mistakes that people are making in getting into this business? Yeah. I, one, I would say that people aren't. And I think there's a great opportunity. So that, you know, kind of a little and why, why do you think they're not? I, I think it's because there's this, uh, you know, negative association to the business for all kinds of different reasons. Why do you see people don't consider it? Uh, well, I think that negative association is a big deal. Like when I, when I told my wife, Hey, I think we ought to build some laundromats. She's like, to your CEO, what, what are you talking about, man? You're not building laundromats. And like, that's, that's the stigma. And um, I think that that's part of it. I also think that on the surface, if, if you don't know, it seems like I could get into this thing and uh, buy an existing laundromat. And then you quickly find out one, there's, there may not be any available in your, in your market. And second, when you try to get into it, you find out that there's the truth is difficult to find. And so then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I'm moving on to something else. Mm -hmm. And, and um, it's not like if you were buying, if you're buying a business through a business broker, yeah, typically those guys are doing all the due diligence. Well, and it's such a fragmented industry, Keith, right? There's not a lot of data generally accepted data to find you. You don't go, I don't, I don't know. I don't there probably isn't an industry conference to go to. Maybe there is, but there is there, actually, yeah. There isn't a lot of that, you know, it's all into, it's been such a, it's such a fragmented industry that it's yeah. hard to get that information, right? At least reliably. Yeah. It is. And you know, that makes it tricky. And then I think people get spooked and they're just like, well, I'm going to go mm -hmm. find something else to do. And that's why I think there's so much opportunity there because it also anybody that's probably thinking about buying a laundromat or, or opening a laundromat probably has not been a laundromat customer in, in, in probably quite some time, right? right. Measured, measured in decades. That's a good point. Yeah. And so they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to have a, crummy laundromat. Well, that's why I think this is so interesting because you can create a beautiful laundromat where people are like, place is nicer in my house. I love going to the. Yeah. There's, a, the there's an opportunity to disrupt here. And that that's as an entrepreneur, that should get your attention. Yeah, that's right. And so I think people overspend, they get a little spooked. It, like if they get past the part of being concerned um, enough that they pursue the investment, I think there's a tendency to either overspend um, or underspend in areas that you really shouldn't have. Like, you're like, eh, I think I can get by with used equipment. Yeah, so you buy stuff that isn't great and then it breaks down and people are like, it's like every other laundromat. So you got to spend the money in the areas that is really going to differentiate you and then probably peel back in the other areas. And I probably overspent in, for sure, like in architecture and design. I'm embarrassed by what I spent. <laughs> like, seriously, that was not, 
that was not good. Um, I, like I said, I solved a lot of really great aesthetics with paint and wallpaper and a polished concrete floor. Right? And that's the net of it. I did not need to spend lots and lots of money on designers, but I did because I didn't know any better. And that's an area of where people can overspend. And then, you know, in the, in the laundromat business, what the, the famous saying is, listen, we pay our bills in quarters, not like literally taking quarters to pay the, <laughs> but everything that you pay comes from people pumping a quarter into a machine. So when I think about, you know, paying an architect's bill and I've got to earn that from the quarters that are left over after I, you know, pay for all my expenses, I'm like, dang, that's a lot of quarters, man. I do not, I'm not proud of that. And so I think you can overspend and that's why you need, that's why you need a good advisor. And I think, you know, distributors are pretty good advisors that you, you need to manage them because they're going to try and get you to spend too much on equipment. And mine for sure did. But I said, listen, man, we're going to have minimum eight foot aisles, right? So no one's running into each other. There's plenty of space and it feels comfortable and it feels safe. And so as soon as I put that layout in my, I couldn't fit 75 machines, right? I, I can only fit 48. So that's what I put in. I and, you know, my distributor would have been like, no way. Like no one has an eight foot aisle and a laundromat. Crazy dude. You have a six foot aisle and let's put, you know, let's go line my pockets and put some more equipment in there. Right. And that's not the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Thank, thanks for sharing all yeah. those details and being so transparent. I would just encourage people if you're, if you're frustrated with the thing that you're doing now, or you feel unfulfilled for whatever reason, or you think that your boss makes too much money and you should be doing, you know, a lot better, whatever, right? Like go do something, start to investigate a bit and then don't get married to, to the corporate deal. Like really figure out what gives you energy, man, what, what makes you tick and then trying to go do those things. And for me, it's not being a CEO, it's growing business and owning business and creating opportunities for people and giving folks um, knowledge that they wouldn't otherwise have, giving people career opportunities they otherwise have. And you know, I can do that through my own kind of entrepreneurial deal. And so I would just encourage people to go do something, man. Yeah, no, I love that. That's inspirational. Is if I want to get more from you as it relates to starting a laundromat, uh, go to the website and you have, that's where you have all the information and all those downloads, correct? Yeah, you can do that. Uh, you can send me an email through that. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can, uh, whatever. I, people reach out to me in all kinds of different ways. It's not hard to find. Yep. And I'm, I'm happy to, I'm not even trying to make money off it necessarily, right? If people want to buy the assets, like if you want to buy a detailed Excel financial model that's taken, you know, months of months to build and then years to populate with actual data. Yeah, I would charge you a few hundred bucks for it, right? But if you want to talk to me about an opportunity or whatever, I talk to people all the time, man. I just, I, I like doing that. And uh, you can find me through all those sorts of avenues or leave me a comment on, on, my, on my podcast. I respond to all those if people leave me a way to, to reach out. Wonderful. Thank you for that. All right, let's wrap it up, Keith. What's, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had about, if I'm thinking about a laundromat business, or what, what I should be thinking about it as it relates to laundromat business. One thing you want us to take away from the conversation that we had. Yeah, Henry, I would just say, you know, go, go do something, man, because if you're unfulfilled, don't, don't wait decades to go scratch that itch. Life's short, man. All of a sudden you're going to be 60 and you're like, shoot, I sure wish I'd done something other than, you know, whatever I'm doing. And so go do something, man. It, it, it doesn't have to be the one 
Like, don't feel like the thing you're going to go explore next is the one you're going to go to provide for your family on, right? It might be something that sparks an idea. And then from that, it kind of pivots into something else. And then from there, it goes into something else. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, I found this really great opportunity. And I've spent kind of active time for 18 months and I figured it out. And this is kind of what really scratches my itch. And, and then you did it, right? And just don't wait for your career to trickle by and feel unsatisfied with it, man. Go, just go do something. Agreed. Thanks for that. And uh, tell us again where you want us to go online to find out more about you. Uh, you can go to dinkpie.com, D-I-N-C-P-I-E. That's the Diversified Income diversified income Passive Income Experiment. That's what it stands for. But dinkpie.com. And there's all the assets are there. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can do it through that or LinkedIn or whatever. But um, yeah, go check it out. I appreciate you offering that. And, and, and listen to my podcast because um, I go into the details of all the stuff. I share everything that anybody would possibly ever want to know about a whole bunch of topics, laundromats included. Uh, It's it's just really starting to to take off. And so I think people find value from it. Yeah, no, it's a great show. It's exactly right for why you said, just like you have been on this episode, you're very transparent with everything and sharing what you've done. And so it's it's really valuable knowledge. So I I appreciate your podcast very much. Yeah, thanks, Henry. Keith, good talking to you, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for taking the time to come on my show and uh, sharing and again, being transparent and answering all these questions. I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. Of course, anytime. Talk to you soon. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Keith Leinbach. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Or just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.